When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I'm John Cross of the Daily Mirror and joining me this week, uh, well, we've got a nice motley crew, actually. Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Star. Chris McKenna, his colleague at the Daily Star. And another man from Merseyside alongside Chris, Dave Maddock from the Daily Mirror. Nice to have you with us, um, guys. Thanks so much for, for, for joining. And there's always lots to talk about. And this week, absolutely no exception. You know, I... I it's incredible, isn't it? The sort of the Champions League always throws up incredible stories. Marcus Rashford, what a night, what a week um, he's having, becoming a national hero off the pitch and showing what an absolute food, football superstar he is on the pitch. Um, looking at Chelsea, what a fantastic victory as well for them in in Russia um, on their travels. Liverpool, Arsenal playing Dundalk. Dundalk. Um, Chris actually, I, I, I think, wrote my favourite favorite story of the week, really. The incredible story of Dundalk, which we'll have a look at Arsenal's Europa League opponents a little bit later. I, I was going to also crash through, why is there only three Premier League games on Saturday? Doesn't that feel like a departure from the Saturday three o'clock kickoffs? Um, that's where, where we're heading, isn't it, in these pay-per-view times? But we're free on the Football Digest podcast, so join us every week. Um, so let's get straight into it, really. Um, you, you, you know, a couple of you, I think, were, were at the game um, at Old Trafford um, last night. Um, Jeremy, let's let's start with you. Marcus Rashford, I mean, hat-trick in, in the end. I think most people saw United's opening two fixtures against PSG and RB Leipzig as incredibly tough games and it would be you know permeate permutate really two from the three in the group what a start for United what a story for Rashford yeah look it was great great night last night it was a strange game really because um it was quite tight for about um an hour and um you know I got an early goal through Greenwood which is a great finish good build up by Pogba and um they sort of clung on to that a bit Leipzig had loads of possession and um Passed it around sharply, but they didn't really penetrate. Um, the depth, they lack a bit of pace, Leipzig up front. So, whenever that's the case, United United seem to be able to contain teams. It's when teams have genuine pace that United are exposed a little bit. But look, in general, look, Rashford stole the headlines for obvious reasons. He came on and just blitzed Leipzig with three great goals. Uh, he could have had a fourth actually, but he gave the penalty to Rush, uh, to Martial, which just shows what sort of bloke he is really. Um, yeah, look over the two games, they've got six points. They've got one foot in the in the knockout stages. No one really saw this come in. Um, you know, they obviously took on PSG after getting tonked six one by Tottenham, and when they were on utter shambles. But you know that that international break clearly came at a good time for Solskjaer. He's had to think about what he wanted to do with his team. He's ch- chopped and changed things a little bit. But you have to say he's outwitted two great managers, two good young up and coming managers in Tuchel and Nagelsmann. In successive games, so fair credit to him. You know he deserves a lot of credit. Dave, when you go to Old Trafford with with a jacket like that, Nagelsmann, I mean, <laughs> you, you really got on to put on a better performance, haven't you? It was an outrageous sports jacket, wasn't it? Really, but it was it was United were terrific, weren't they? Yeah, I thought you were talking about my jacket. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless you've got a picture, I'll, I'll look at your post match video for that. Perhaps <laughs> I was. Uh... I was wondering why the security was so tight. At all. It took me ages to get in. But no, you're right. I mean, uh, it was an interesting game. Leipzig were terrible. All Manchester United made them look terrible. Um, and I expected I expected far more from them. Semi-finalists last season in the Champions League. And as you say, a, a young manager with a terrible fashion sense. Absolutely appalling. Um, and... What, what Manchester United did was contain the game. Actually, they, they um, I think, what Solskjaer has done um, is to he realizes that at the start of the season they were a little bit open in midfield and, and vulnerable, especially to the counter attack. And I think he 
he's changed things around a little, given more protection to the defence. And that made for a, 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 I mean, it was actually quite a boring game for for at least 60-odd minutes. Um, but what he did have, which which uh, Jeremy pointed out, like he didn't, was a bit of pace up top in, in Martial and, and Greenwood. And Greenwood was the difference. Um, it allowed United to keep the game tight and still create a couple of chances. And uh, he took, he, the, he brilliantly with the one move, really, of the first half when Pogba showed his quality. And I think, I mean, what it's showing is that uh, that Solskjaer himself is is kind of developing as a, as a coach a little. And people forget that he doesn't have that much experience as a coach, especially, obviously, at this level. And, um, and, and he realised he had a problem this season and he's addressed it. And not only has he addressed it, but he's addressed it using the strengths that he has. And, and Manchester United now, for me, have... In their forward players, especially when you put Fernandez in, in sort of just behind them, they've got some of the the best forward players now in in certainly in the Premier League and therefore in Europe, and 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 that is a huge strength for United if they can use it properly. And I think Solskjaer is is now beginning to use it. And of course, Rashford is well, he's emerging now as 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 I always thought he's a fantastic player, but wondered whether he was a goal scorer. And, and he's kind of showing now that he is, and, and fair play to him. And, and I would just say, I personally cannot be happier for somebody to be getting the credit on the pitch after the credit that he deserves off the pitch for what he has done, which which is absolutely remarkable uh, and deserves all of us. Every single football fan, United or not, should be supporting that young lad because he is doing something that is, is remarkable. Chris, it does make you wonder. I mean, Marcus Rashford, what he's done on and off the pitch, makes you wonder what sort of reception he would be getting on nights like last night, but also up and down the country because he's just made himself, you know, a fabulous, fabulous um, beacon of hope, really, sort of representative, isn't he, of of kind of, you know, a a different feel for for the country. I think the difference he's made on and off the pitch has just been phenomenal, hasn't it? He's really using his voice and his platform. Yeah, he's transcended the sport. I mean, like in our lives, football dominates it and football fans know all about him. But I think even the man on the street or who doesn't have any interest in the sport now knows who Marcus Rashford is and knows what a great bloke he is. He's this he's a millionaire footballer, but he is not forgotten what his roots are. He's not forgotten where he's come from and the struggles his family had to go through to help him. So he knows what it's like for these families and it's so inspirational to see that you could be cynical and say PO this and PO that and it, but I don't, I think it is genuine because he's coming from this background. He he knows what it's like to be a kid and to be hungry and, and for, to see his mum like struggle to get a few quid together to be able to give him something. So he knows what these families are going through and he's got this privileged position now where he can help and support and some people might might just go, oh, I don't live that life anymore. I, I got away from that. I don't need to help anybody. But he's thought, no, this is a chance to to use my position and to come out and, and for, for the real good of, of the whole nation, do something remarkable. And he deserves every credit. You said if it, if the grounds were full, I think he could even go, he would 100%, I would say, he'd go to Anfield and the cop would stand and applaud him for a Manchester United mm. player. I think that would be that would be so remarkable. Yeah, it it really would be. I mean, read some crazy stories this week about sort of the uh, BBC Sports Personality of the Year, which I just think you know. I mean, the, the whole title suggests you have to be a personality to to win that that title. And Marcus Rashford, if he doesn't get nominated, let alone win it, then I I, I you know I just think you might as well pack up and go home and just d- ditch that. Um, outdated, ridiculous, old-fashioned award, frankly, and keep up with the times. Jeremy, on, on Upamenko, I, I would just wanted to touch on him because a lot has been said and, 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 and written. He's out, undoubtedly a very good defender on, on different nights. We didn't see much of it against Old Trafford. If that was supposed to be his audition, did he fail it and did he put United off for good? Um... <clears throat> Well, it was a, it was an up and down night for him, that's for sure. I mean, mm. let's just say he's a very big unit and a very powerful looking bloke. So he's got all the attributes that you need at centre back. Um, 
And he was, you know, he whenever he got the ball, he was keen to bring it out of defence. He came rampaging through into the United half. Um, it was good to watch, actually, because you don't see that often in the Premier League uh, in English football. Uh, but he was caught napping a couple of times. He gave, he made a mistake early on, which allowed Martial to run charge down the right flank, and the chance went missing actually because he pulled his cross back behind Greenwood. But um, so that was a blot on his copybook. And then he was caught out by Pogba's pass for the um, opening goal by Greenwood. So he was caught napping a couple of times. I mean, Solskjaer said in his press conference that you know he was he openly admitted that it, it was a chance to look at him live last mm-hmm. night, and um, I think he'll. Uh, He'll, he'll have gone away with mixed feelings about him, but, but I've not seen a lot of him. I have to admit, but he is he is um, he is regarded as one of the next big um, big things in um, in European football. So uh, it was a chastening night for him in many many respects because because you know obviously conceded five goals and if he's their superstar defender, then that, that doesn't paint a great picture of him, does it? No, it doesn't. I, I, I've got to say, Leipzig don't look the same outfit without Werner, I guess, from last season, do they, as well? Um, and Werner, you know, really catching light um, now, isn't he, um, at, at Chelsea. I, I just wanted, before we look at sort of kind of Chelsea, very impressive win against Krasnodar, but um, Frank Lampard this week threw out some interesting comments um, about English managers. I mean, he's the only second English manager, Dave, to um, uh, have a second successive season in, in the Champions League after Sir Bobby Robson. Um, and he he was sort of talking about this and saying that English managers get judged differently. And it was clear, I think, he took more, more perhaps praise and more pride in what he achieved last season under under a transfer ban, getting the club into the top four, than, than perhaps he thought he was given credit for. Do you, where, where do you stand on that? Is that an interesting, you know, is that a valid valid argument? I just thought he caught my eye. I love the arguments like that because it's always about perception, these things, isn't it? Yeah, I, I actually caught my eye as well because I was thinking, if anything, Lampard got a a better ride than Sarri did the, the year before. And, and, I mean, if you're going to bring it down to sort of bare facts, then I think Sarri probably achieved a little bit more than... Lampard did, and yet was absolutely crucified by not only the Chelsea fans, but but had a, a pretty tough ride generally in the the, the wider media as well. Um, my assumption, I must say, my assumption is that is that Lampard, because he's an English manager, and obviously because he has the connection to the club, uh, uh, has actually maybe not not had a, a free ride by any means but maybe has had a slightly easier ride because in part let's face it <clears throat> because Sarri didn't play the best football but he did he did um get to get them to a european final he did mm. he did um uh, operate himself under a, a, a transfer ban as well um and he was showing signs of his team sort of improving in their style whilst also achieving so I mean, that was that was a for me. A, I mean, I'm not a Chelsea fan, and I know Chelsea fans hated the way that he played. But for me, that was a that was a, a, he got a terrible deal and deserved longer in that job. And I, and I think Lampard, yeah, they they were good last season, and, and yes, they had a, a transfer ban, but they were very very inconsistent. And, you know, he, I think some of that was his inexperience as a manager. And I think they've started this season exactly the same. They've, they've done really well in some games, look brilliant. And at other times, absolutely ordinary. Uh, the Liverpool game, you showed, how, showed, I think, how far away they were, Chelsea, from being uh, at, at the level of Manchester City and Liverpool. And, and, and so I'd say, on the whole, Lampard's done all right rather than not being given the credit he's deserved. Mm. Chris, I'm always fascinated about little nuances and quirks in the media. I, I, I always look at Newcastle and I can never work out sometimes why, you know, the North East guys give Steve Bruce such a hard time for, for results and performances when, you know, they compare um, sort of admirably, don't they, to Rafa Benitez, who's held up still as, as the god. You know, he's been a world-class manager, Rafa. We, we know that. But where do you stand on the kind of the Frank Lampard debate? Do you think he gets a, a slightly easier ride from the sort of the London press? What do you think? I don't, I don't know if it's an easier ride, but I think it helps a manager when 
I, I suppose when when they're good with the press, like in you, you get a mm. like a good interview with them, it kind of helps you go. Well, he's an all right guy, so maybe subconsciously you you go you, like you're a bit less critical. But I think this would be the big year for him because everything was said about the transfer ban and and everything last year, and he was playing young players and he was doing a great thing by doing that. But they did dip towards the end of the season and. This year, though, he's had a lot of money to spend. Like they've spent a huge amount, and it's kind of, I think it'll. This will be the season where, in the second half of the year or next year, if they're not properly with the money they spent, realistically, the way Liverpool are at the moment, you've got to say Chelsea should be challenging because they have a a, a massive squad. Now, will they challenge? I don't. I'm not sure. I don't think they will. And with, where do you kind of stand with that on Lampard? Is he doing the a good job. How will Abramovich see that? Because with the money he's invested, they've got to surely be challenged for the title. And I think that'll be maybe where we see what the, what they the, say the London media will look at him for. But I think it always helps when a manager, you'll know better yourself, John, how good he is with the press. If he gives mm. you time and that, you kind of, it makes you maybe subconsciously less critical for a bit. But if the results have inevitably don't match up to what he should be doing. I think it'll always happen that people will, will come out and be a lot stronger on him. I John, you work, you, you work in the London media, John. What do you think? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I put me on the spot. See, I'm shifting, I'm shifting it, you see, trying to get you guys Trying out. to get me to play, yeah. It is an interesting one. A lot of you guys obviously covered his playing career. Yeah. He was such a fantastic player for that club, an iconic figure, won so many trophies. You obviously got to know him pretty well. Um, when he then becomes the manager like he is now, do you think that relationship you had with him as a player translates into how you treat him as a, a manager? Well, do you, do you know, it's, I, I thought he started his managerial career with all the all the niceties and all the kind of, you know, friendly hellos and sort of kind of, you know, nudge, nudge, nudge wink, winks and sort of kind of, you know, in the early, early weeks of his reign at Chelsea. And I don't know what happened, really. Probably someone gave him some good PR advice and quickly sort of said, you know what, be friendly, but not that friendly. Yeah, and, yeah, got, yeah. and it was a strange one, really. Was, I felt there was a definite change. I'm probably imagining it. But, um, but uh, and, and, you know, I personally think maybe I've been suckered in. I don't think that he got enough credit for the job that he did last season because I'd never have put them in the top four last, you know, in the pre- pre- preceding summer. Um, without signings and, and 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 so on. And yes, they were you know hopelessly inconsistent, leaked goals left, right, and centre. But he got the job done. And 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 you know then I think when you do that, got them to an FA Cup final. Okay, they lost it. And I think generally, I think most Chelsea fans and Roman Abramovich would have bitten your hand off, at, at, you know, to get into the into the top four. It's as simple as that. And and therefore, I think that you know he he probably I I think got criticism by um a little bit harshly um and by the way he reads absolutely everything i'm convinced of that he really does you can really tell um and i, I don't know he, he's still a young manager sort of kind of finding his way and maybe an older manager a bit more worldly wise doesn't bother you know basically <laughs> thinks you know what i haven't got i haven't got time for this i can't let it affect me and then basically you, you can tell sometimes on a press conference if he's read particular person he's He's slightly offish with them. He really is. I just didn't quite get his point about English managers because no, I, I, when you I, think I, about it, people yeah. like Eddie Howe and Sean Dyche who've done great jobs at their respective yeah. clubs, they've had they've been lavish with loads of praise. The fact is, to earn respect, you've got to win stuff, haven't you? Or be consistently yeah. great. And it's too soon to judge Lampard X, but he's, he should be feel very privileged to be forty two years old and managing one of the biggest clubs in Europe. Not many people at that age get a chance like that, do they? No, yeah. they don't. And I tell you what, I tell you what, it's it's utterly bizarre on Sean Dyche. I don't know what you guys think. Everyone says, "Oh, he doesn't get the credit he deserves," or or Chris Wilder, you know, you know, is the recent case, isn't he? Doesn't get the credit he deserves. I don't know what 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 TV shows yeah. you're watching, what newspapers you're reading, but yes, they do. They yeah. they get a hell of a lot of praise. Or, or am I wrong? I don't know. Wilder, aside from Klopp last season, Wilder's probably the most praised manager of this of the whole season. And they've had plenty of praise from other managers as well, which gets put out there and reported. Yeah. It is it's a bizarre thing. It's like people just want to find a problem with it or say just to have a moan about it, I think. 
Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Dave, Dave, that result last night really sets them up nicely to to kind of get through. It wasn't the greatest game in their in their opening um, uh, fixture, was it? But basically, to win away four four nil in in Eastern Europe, long trip this week. I mean, it, you know, it's a fantastic result, isn't it? It is. I must confess, obviously, I was travelling to the uh, United game, so uh, I don't I don't see uh, how they actually performed. But yeah, I mean. Basically, you you're looking to win one one game at least away in your group, and then that gives you a, a, a hell of a chance to to progress because you would expect to win at least two of your home games and 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 maybe three. And interestingly, that's still holding up even without fans so far. Um, and th- that that formula, you know, that that you're still looking to 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 win at home. And that actually, that's a quite an interesting point. I'm taking us down a tangent here, but it, it, it's an interesting point that, you know, in Europe, sides are still expecting to, and and so far looking at the results, are, are still doing all right at home. So does that tell you that it's actually more important that the players know the pitch and they're comfortable with the environment and also the lack of travelling? rather than the actual influence of the fans. So, you know, we always go on about the fans and, you know, we talk about maybe Anfield being an intimidating place to come. But, but you know, is is that the biggest factor in in uh, why, why teams do so well at home? Maybe, it, I mean, obviously it's going to be a factor, but maybe it's to do with as well is actually knowing the pitch, knowing the sort of landscape, knowing the sort of the environment that you... That you you can, the preparation before the game, etc., including the travel. So mm. that's that's an interesting aside. Something that maybe we could talk about another day. But when we get more 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 stats, so that you know to see whether it actually does work out. But yeah, um, I mean Chelsea. It's interesting actually because Chelsea have got a very good team now. Have they got a good squad? Mm. I'm still not sure about that, especially in defence. Um, and it, it it looks to me they're at a similar stage as Manchester United as well. And I think Manchester United have a fabulous team. I really do. But I don't know yet. Even though they've got, on paper, they've got a fabulous squad, I don't know whether they have the depth in the key areas, i.e. midfield and defence, to, to go through a season like this season, making changes all the time, which you'll have to do, and still win the games that you've got to win. And Chelsea, for me, I think their first 11 will perform well, especially if they're rested. But when they rest the first 11, the question then is, are we going to get the inconsistency, which has been a feature of Lampard and his reign so far? And and like you go back to last season and Liverpool and to a lesser extent Manchester City, but certainly the two seasons before, they won no matter who was playing. And actually, Klopp did a lot of rotating. You always think, oh, yeah, their forward line always plays. But it did, didn't always play last season. It's not always played this season already. And yet they've still won, apart from that, that Villa game, of course. And, and, and that is really what, what I think you're looking at in terms of Chelsea, in terms of Manchester United, and then those clubs that are even further away, like Arsenal, Crossy. <laughs> yes, very, very much further away. <laughs> no, I mean that is the key, the absolute key. I think to whether um, Ch- Ch- I think Chelsea have definitely got absolute mm. quality, real quality, and as you say, Werner is now emerging and starting to understand what what's required of him. And it, you know, obviously, a fabulous player. But but you know, let's see where the, when they have to rotate when they as Liverpool did uh, uh, two nights ago, replaced their whole forward line and uh, still got a win. Absolutely awful, by the way, Liverpool, but still got a win. Uh, let's see whether Chelsea do that. Yeah. Chris, I don't know whether you saw saw the Chelsea game or not, but it was an amazing thing to actually see the, see fans in the stadium on this occasion, you know, taken up from Dave, Dave's point about it. And I mean, it was just, just it felt like a different occasion with the atmosphere, with the noise. I mean, it, you know, it's a reminder, isn't it, of just how much we miss them. It was a totally different experience. It, it actually feels strange now when you're watching a match and there's a live crowd there. I, I've seen a, a couple of games in different across Europe and when when there's people there and you're going, that looks strange. You know, it's like so weird that you get so kind of conditioned 
after what just six seven months of not seeing it and it feels strange but it feels it's good to see it and we can can only kind of wish and and pray it happens here soon but we, we obviously got major issues around that but yeah it, it's good to see and hopefully we'll get them back here soon mm, yeah Jeremy I just want to ask you about Liverpool um uh, uh, That's uh, quality well. service that from Heather, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Where's mine? I'm trying to brush, brush, trying to brush over the co- quality coffee service. Thank you very much indeed. Two um, sugars for me. <laughs> pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> I did say a, bit, a little bit earlier, actually. Uh, can't get um, I'm joking. Um, Liverpool. Uh, I just wanted to ask you about that, about that them, Jeremy. I mean, basically. You know, getting the job done again the other night. I mean, it felt there was an element of that against Sheffield United. You know, I mean, it, that that was an interesting, interesting game. Can I go back to the age-old question? Do they need to strengthen? Do they need to strengthen to 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 win on all fronts, or what they carry now is so good from last season? Basically, can they can they can they do it? Basically, can they retain you know trophies again? Look, they've they've obviously lost Van Dijk for a long time. We don't know how long he's going to be out for, but um, you know, any team in the world would miss a player of his quality mm. and influence. And Fabinho's obviously now got injured. Um, it sounds like it's not as serious as the first feared. He might only be out for ten days to two weeks, or so so that's a positive, I suppose. So yeah, look, the, the focus is on their options at the back and. You know they've not played that well this season, really, by their standards. I mean, they, they may never reach the same standards they did last season because that's that, 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 those were pretty special. Mm. Um, but they're still joint top of the league. So you know, if you can if you can still be joint top of the league without playing in fifth gear, then that's a real really positive sign for for Klopp. Yeah, look, they they are winning games without dominating games which is also a good sign because you know you've got to got to sometimes eke out a 1-0 win or a 2-1 win if you're going to go on and win the title and the other thing is this season is so disjointed and up in the air with everything um, you know we've seen bizarre results um, no one dare predict anything so that that may count in their favour in the long run because ultimately they still have the best team in the league on paper with or without Van Dijk so you know, I think Klopp will probably focus on trying to win the title and, and having a good run in the Champions League this season. They're the mm. two trophies he really wants to win again. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he um, approaches the FA Cup and the League Cup. Yeah. Dave, what has caught my eye is the, the amount of... You know, I mean, he changed the midfield a lot last season, but he's changing the team a lot this season, isn't he? I mean, I guess you've got to do that with the fixture list, haven't you? Is that... Is that a natural thing to do, or is he, or is he looking for his best formula? No, it, it, it absolutely. He set out this season to to, um, to have a, a bigger squad for a start, which he's already done. Uh, there's a there, there there are players that you would have expected to leave who, who haven't. Like just as an example, Shakiri, and and um, they he was clear with in his intent that he would have to rotate. The, the fixture list is insane up until Christmas. I mean, it is yeah. absolutely crazy. Um, and, I mean, the Van Dyke injury is an absolute blow for them. There's absolutely no doubt. But I think you'll find all the big clubs, the ones that are involved in, in the European games, they're all going to get injuries like that sooner or later because, because the, the fixture list is so demanding. There was such a short turnaround in the summer. They... they They've not had the conditioning, non, especially clubs Manchester United, Manchester City, who 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 went on into Europe into the summer. They're gonna, they will get injuries, um, mm. and you'll 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 see them start happening, you know, from now as well. Um, Manchester United made five changes last night, and it was a surprise because it was the toughest, you know, you know, the second toughest team in their group, and a, a game they really needed to win to set up that group, and they made five changes and still won. Solskjaer acknowledged it afterwards. Um, one thing with Liverpool, I would say, is that um, they're playing like a side that know they've lost their best player. And, and I can see in, in their performances since then that they, they are affected by it. But what I've also seen is that they somehow are still finding a way to get the job done, as you say. 
even against Everton, they lost Van Dijk and they were all over the place. And obviously they're going to be all over the place because they've just lost this guy. And they all knew it was a really serious injury. And for 20 minutes, defensively, they didn't have a clue what was going on. They conceded a goal, got another goal, conceded again. And then they scored, as Liverpool always seem to do now, in the last minute, a winner. And it was, it was a winner because, you know, seeing it again 30 times, there is no way that was offside. We've discussed it on here, so I won't go over it again. But they stopped, they basically stopped the frame at the wrong place to, and he was given offside when he was not offside. So Liverpool found a way to win that game. They found a way to beat a very well-organised, very aggressive Sheffield United side. Uh, and they were absolutely diabolical against Midgetland or whatever they're called uh, the other night. And they still won in the end quite comfortably. So, you know, that last season, if you think back to last season, the number of times they got late goals to win matches, it was remarkable. And it still looks like they're doing that now. But there's a tiny bit of me that says, there's something coming for them. There's a defeat coming for them that actually puts into perspective the loss of Van Dyke. West Ham, you look at them, the physicality they have. The the you know, Antonio's absolutely mm. flying at the moment. And he, he is a real handful, let's face that. And it, it, if Joel Matip isn't back, which I'm not sure he will be uh, on Saturday, um, they may well have to go with Jordan Henderson uh, alongside Joe Gomez at the back. And I can see Antonio already going. Well, there's breakfast. So, but maybe that's the game when we'll see the the, the, miss, the missing Van Dyke. Mm. I, I I was just going to add in there, sort of a little bit about Man City actually, which I hadn't sort of kind of thought about. But you know, Dave in talking about sort of Liverpool and defending the title, there was a great line, Chris, that I, I saw on match on match of the day. Um, uh, Steve Wilson, I think the commentator was saying that basically Man City currently looked like a Man City tribute act. Um, they, they look like the old man city. They sound a bit like them as well, and kind of really not not quite not quite as good, and not quite as realistic as they as they once were. Really, I mean, I, I don't know. Does City can City kind of you know get back in the title race? Are they going to be sort of a, a team to be reckoned with this season? It, 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 I don't know. They don't. They're not quite at it, and yet that result midweek would suggest otherwise. Yeah, it, it's a strange one. Like they still seem defensively vulnerable, even though they spent big in the, the defense. And but with the squad they have and the players, you you can always go if they click and they could go on a run of twelve games and win them all, and then suddenly it looks a lot different. But it just doesn't seem right there. And I don't I don't know what if there's something going on behind the scenes or whether with Pep guardiola's kind of contract and all of this and you don't know how long he's more he's going to be there is this all kind of adding a bit uncertainty we, we haven't seen the best of the Bruyne yet this season really but again if he turns it on he's so good he could just lift that team and they go on this massive run but it, everybody's going on about the mad results and all of this and everything's all over the place but i i think I think you're still going to get to mid-December and you're going to look at the league table and I wouldn't be surprised if it's Liverpool six, seven points ahead of Man City. And it's just, I, although they, they, Liverpool have lost this air maybe of invincibility by losing Van Dijk and this season because obviously they lost 7-2 with Van Dijk in the team. You're going to a game now and you're going, last season you were going to a Liverpool game, especially at home, and you're going, they're just going to win. You just knew it. it was, there was no doubt they would win, even if they were brilliant, even if they were off the ball, they would just get a result. This year, you're kind of going, well, West Ham, they, they could get a draw here. They could might nick something. But I still think, as they did the other night in the Champions League, even though they were, they were so poor, they can just get a result. And that's mm. such a quality. I don't know. City don't seem sometimes to have that. They're either, they seem a lot more Jekyll and Hyde. They're either brilliant and they wipe the floor with everybody or they have an off day and they just they can fall asunder and and and, and lose quite heavily really for a side so good. It's they're a bit different and I don't know whether it is that they don't maybe have that same edge as Liverpool anymore. Well, they obviously did have it a couple of years ago when they when they ran away with the title. But it, yeah, it's a, it's a strange one with City. It just doesn't seem right. There's just the harmony at the club scene doesn't seem right. I mean, Jeremy will obviously know a lot better on the on the patch more, but. 
it they just don't seem it's this city of all there where everybody was clicking and everybody seemed happy there Guardiola just doesn't seem seem the same character to me anyway you know, lack of a striker is big Jeremy isn't it I think it is look Aguero his record speaks for itself he's the talisman of the team up front um, along with De Bruyne so the, the big issue the two issues are obviously there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding Guardiola in the last year of his contract no one seems to know what's going on he may well have signed a contract and they've not announced it yet who knows things happen in strange ways at City but um, and obviously they need to start thinking about replacing Aguero because he's spending more time off the pitch than on it these days he's 32 he's in his 10th season you know, he's obviously his body's starting to let him down a bit. He's had a long career. You know, he's in his last season uh, under contract. So he'd, I'd, I'd be amazed if, it, if if he stays beyond the end of this season. So that's going to be a massive, massive hole to fill for, for City next season. And it's like a chicken in the egg scenario, isn't it? Do, do, they, do they look at signing a player, targeting a player now? Can they persuade that player to come if, they, if that player doesn't know Guardiola's going to be even there next season? So it's all a bit mysterious, really. And, I, you know, I think in recent times, the main issue Guardiola's face is that he's not replaced players with better players. So there have been inferior players, like, for example, they let Sane go to Bayern Munich and they've signed Ferran Torres. Now, we all think Ferran Torres could be a good player, but he's nowhere near on the same level as, um, as Sane was before he got that unlucky injury. So... I think the damage is starting to tell now on City in terms of results. I still fancy them to finish second or third, but I'd be surprised if they um, if they win the title this season because they're just not, not consistent enough and they don't have that fear factor that they used to have. Really, they used to play teams and kill them off three, four, five nil. They all seem to they seem to like that cutting edge now. Yeah, no, they do, they do. Right, I'm going to look at the Europa League and actually one time in particular, Chris. I'm going to I'm, I'm get my value for money here. It's a big moment here, here, Chris. Come on, mate. <laughs> Arsenal Dundalk, right now, yeah. Dundalk. I think that you know we talk about European Super League. I know this is Europa League, but this for me is why we need to keep keep the kind of you know the the, the Champions League and indeed the Europa League format as it is, because you can get great stories like this. You did a lovely piece this week, Chris. Just tell us about the makeup of of the club, you know, where they come from, who's in charge, what's going to happen tonight. I mean, it's just an incredible story, isn't it? It is. A, it's a wild story. I mean, it, it goes back, I mean, don't talk, <coughs> excuse me, we're like a, a, a big team in the 90s in Ireland. They won the title in 95, but then they had years up and down and, 2011, 2012, they nearly went bust, nearly went out of business. They were rescued. They came back. And then they were taken over by Peak Six, an investment company, Americans, who used to have a stake in Bournemouth as well. And it's been a kind of a wild ride. I mean, they they've, they had Stephen Kenny, who's now the Irish boss, and he won four or five titles, four titles with them. Um, they were the dominant force. They were in the Europa League a few years ago. And that money really set them up because they – they earned massive. They nearly got out of the group that time, which would have been incredible. No, only two Irish teams have ever got to a group stages of European competition, them and Shamrock Rovers. So they had to got out of the group that time. It, that would have been incredible. Just missed out. They, they made so much money from it and it set them up. And they, they have a, they've got an old ground. They don't, they can't play the Europa League games there. It's like, it's a, it's an artificial pitch that they had before any other team used to have artificial pitches in, in Ireland. It was like, everybody yeah, used to, mocked them and say oh it's the bouncy castle up there and all of this stuff it's a crazy story and then now you like when Stephen Kenny initially got the under 21s job they promoted his assistant Vinnie Perth who did a good job he won a title and then they lost the Champions League qualifier which was one leg this time because of the COVID and everything and the American firm sacked the manager which was like everyone's like wow well, like, why have you done that it's like still have a chance to get in the Europa League and then not only that, they appointed two Italians that nobody had ever heard of. And not that, you know, sometimes you don't hear of a manager that's doing a good job in maybe Serie B or something or somewhere that they were running a junior football academy in New York. It's like they have no UEFA pro license, so they can't be in the dugout tonight. So the only man at the club is Shane Keegan, who's a lovely fella. He's been a manager before at other clubs, but he's now their opposition and Lannister scout. So he'll be going toe-to-toe with Arteta. 
the stuff that came out in the Irish press after Perth got sacked was that the American chairman, Bill Hurlisser, was ringing up saying, you've got to play, the goalkeeper should take the corner kicks because he used to be a very good Gaelic footballer and he's got the best kind of, the best accurate kick. And then the the centre-back should take all of the throw-ins, which isn't too unusual, I suppose, a defender taking throw-ins. But the reason was because he's a basketball coach. There was a claim that they wanted the... um, the American chairman would like uh, like a phone direct line into the into the dugout. Now they they came out. His son came out and said, "Oh, this isn't right. No, this isn't no way." I think it was more kind of an American who maybe doesn't understand the sport, just trying to thinking out loud, giving this advice to and maybe a guy who saw was Stephen Kenny's assistant, so maybe he needs a bit of help or whatever. But it was totally totally bizarre, and yet they still managed to qualify the. The guys came in, Filippo, and his first quote was, this is a kamikaze job. And it's like, they're defending the title. At the time, they could have still defended the title in Ireland. They could have still qualified. And he's saying, like, as if he's on, like, some sort of hiding to nothing. And it's like, well, no, they're still a big club, still a, the biggest budget, and they've qualified. They've now, I think, they've earned over 4 million quid already through the Europa League before, yeah, I know you don't get the crowds and all of that at the minute, but still you get money for every win or every draw you get so and the turnover is two million so they're going to be set up for years to come but it, it's crazy and it's it's in, in i've spoken to a lot of the guys who cover the club a lot obviously more than me and they they just said it's such a an interesting and a mad time to be covering them because they're somehow still successful but it seems to be a, a wild kind of time there hmm. what, what do you expect the score tonight to, to be what do you expect the outcome to be uh, when I when I spoke to Shane Keegan this week, and he was kind of right, it's like they could give a ten out of ten performance to Dundalk, and if Arsenal are half decent, they could lose two or three, four nil. Um, they did all right last week against Mulder, who are not a bad team. They they nearly they nearly got a result there, so you never know how many changes Arsenal make. I mean, mm. it's going to be bad. What would the highest paid player be earning at Dundalk? Oh, at the minute, because they have got. A, a, a bit, they've got a massive budget compared to everybody else. I think they've got two or three times. You're probably looking at a player maybe on fifteen hundred to two grand or two grand. Um, Does he actually get to play as well, even though he's the highest paid player? <laughs> yeah, just asking. Just, just asking, but I wouldn't know who it is to be honest. But yeah, it, it, the budget is a fraction of what say to Arsenal. But in Ireland, they've got quite a big budget going back from the Europa League days. But who knows? It could be three, four nil, or maybe they'll they'll do it. But the real shame, I suppose, for them is that going back to the crowds again. And but how mm. great it would be for them to play in front of sixty thousand at the Emirates. Some of them players will never get that chance again. Maybe, and that's the big disappointment. Or they they played it at the the return leg, maybe at the Aviva, and that had been packed out for Arsenal coming over there and stuff like that. But it's a great story, and as you say, it's good for that Europa League can still pull up these stories because. It's going to make a massive difference to Irish football, I think. And it's good that you see a couple of their players get on the fringes now of the Irish squad. And I don't think they'd be able to do that if they didn't have the money because the Irish league football for a good long time thereafter, um, my local team, Dundalk's biggest rivals, Drotter, we were like flying high a few years ago and went bust. And a lot of teams that happens to, there's just no money in the league. And so to see a club get into Europe and get that money, it's just going to hopefully it'll somehow filter through the game in Ireland and help the game go on. And if there was a European Super League, I think countries like Ireland, the football, the leagues would struggle because they wouldn't get that. Mm, yeah, no, I think it's a great story. It's such a shame, actually, that you know, because I think the atmosphere would be fabulous at the Emirates. Yeah. I know it gets a lot of stick, but you know, so I think you'd have so many Dundalk fans surely coming across, wouldn't you? And, oh, and yeah, traveling over. Yeah, mm. it'd, be, it'd be great. And the pubs would be packed and all of that kind of stuff, but it's mm. yeah, it's it's a bit rubbish. But what can you do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was just going to touch on one other tight, Dave, with with, with you with Spurs in Antwerp, and 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 in particularly in particular Harry Kane. He's just on fire at the moment, you know, goals and assists, and it's just I I, I don't know. We talk about um, it, it, you know, sort of Rashford at the sort of the top of the show and stuff. Is he in in the best form that you can remember from from? You know his own career right now. I was kind of hoping you'd you'd avoid me on the Europa discussion. I don't do Europa League. <laughs> no, no. Well, actually, purely because 
I, I covered the Europa League with Liverpool when they were rubbish for so long <laughs> that I'm actually enjoying this spell in the Champions League and being able to talk about that and talk about a side capable of winning the Champions League. So I have to confess, I've not really taken much notice of the Europa League itself. But Harry Kane, um, interesting because... He, I don't... I mean, I've watched him quite closely and he doesn't look... To me, he he isn't he's he's playing a, a a slightly different role. He's playing a tiny bit deeper, um, uh, but he's still obviously making those runs into the box and scoring goals. His stats are amazing. I think his game has developed slightly because I noticed, for instance, his his partnership with Son undoubtedly is 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 blossoming, and he is part is being creative in that partnership. He's not just scoring the goals he's he's creating them as well um so there's an element there to his game that i've seen but i i i mean i i would probably be asking you this question has he maybe just lost i mean he's never ever been the quickest there's no doubt and that's never affected his game but has he has he lost a tiny bit with the injuries he's had he's had maybe two three serious injuries so has he lost just not, not you know a tiny fraction, and is that why his his position? It's very subtle, but for me, his position has has changed ever so slightly. And in a way, as you alluded to, he's actually developed and become even more. He's scoring goals, he's creating goals, he's looking fantastic. So, but has he? You know, as as a a bit of his sharpness, not sharpness because his his sharpness is unbelievable. Just that kind of explosive pace that you know, strikers always have. And that doesn't mean that they're quick. Has the edge gone off that? But also, does that mean, and I suspect the answer is yes, that he has to be really carefully treated now? Because I don't think you can be playing him in all the Europa League games, all the Premier League games, all the all the cup competitions. I think really with Harry Kane now, you seem... For me, he's been overplayed in his career and it's understandable because he's been the main goal scorer, the only goal scorer actually at Spurs for a long time. He, every season, it appears that he's got an injury towards the end of the season because he's been overplayed. So, and Mourinho is an intelligent manager, obviously sensible manager, and he will have to decide that balance between what he brings in terms of scoring goals, but also how do you make sure that he doesn't get injured because you can't afford to be without him for eight weeks as he was last season, uh, longer the season before. So it's an interesting one. And actually, I'll throw it over to you. My, my, maybe maybe because I've not seen him week in, week out, my, my perception's wrong, but I think he's slightly changed his position, slightly changed his role, just a fraction while still scoring the goals, which is a fabulous thing for Spurs, you know? Yeah, I, do, I actually think it's a great point. To be honest, I think he's now. Um, you know, I still see people saying, "Oh, is the is the best striker in, in in Europe and doesn't get the credit he deserves." Well, I'm not sure about that. I think he, you know, I think Robert Lewandowski might have something to say about that. But I think he's a fabulous sort of centre forward. But where I think he's he's um, in, cha- you know, he's changed and improved is in the modern day in the modern system. I'm not sure how many teams, if you look across the Premier League, can accommodate a number 10. And so the way to almost accommodate a number 10 is to blend it with your number nine. And Harry Kane has just become the epitome of the kind of, I don't know, what Arsene Wenger used to call a nine and a half. Because basically he's just sort of a, you know, he plays in the forward, but often drop deep and two guys either side of him bomb forward because he's dropping deep to get the ball in, in deeper areas and players are 10. I mean, he's just the game development, I think, is, is what's caught my eye. John, whether think... that's, whether that's, I think he's done that himself because he feels that his, you know, physical uh, makeup has changed. I don't know. Or whether that's being coached. But I mean, it's, it's just phenomenal, his stats at the moment and the way he's playing. He's blown me away. I've been so impressed with him. Sorry, Jeremy. We didn't say- no, I was just going to say, you, you will probably agree with this, but we see him play a lot for England, obviously. Um, he's, he's such a good passer of the ball. I think people, that tends mm. to be overlooked sometimes because he scores a lot of goals. He's involved in a lot of build-up, but he's, 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 his passing is amazing. I think he's one of the best passers of a ball in the Premier League. I think Southgate's mentioned it to us before when we've been away on England trips, but 
He's got a great vision as well. He's got a good football brain. So he's a that's come on a lot, I think, in the last twelve months or so. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And maybe, maybe Mourinho. You know, uh, I mean, I'm the first to criticise Mourinho. I don't like his style of play, but but he is he is a manager who who obviously has great experience and great awareness about the game. And 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 I think maybe his input into the way that game plays has certainly again changed changed the role. And I agree with you. You know, I think he's he's sort of. I mean, he was he was playing more up top. Uh, in his early days at, at Spurs and, and sort of getting, you know, he was in the penalty area and battling with defenders and stuff like that. But I've seen him uh, absolutely withdraw into that sort of 10 role at times, but then still kind of get in there and get on the end of things. And and, and that is the perfect combination for Mourinho because, as, as Jeremy said, he's an absolutely brilliant passer of the ball. So he's creating with his passing and then he's still getting in there and, and finishing things off. So, so he is doing more than perhaps he's done in his Spurs career before, and that is only a bonus for for Mourinho. Mm. Jeremy, I, ju- I just wanted to touch on the on the pay per view row this week <laughs> story we've both covered. I mean, where's it going with this? I mean, they've clearly kicked the can down the road on this one, haven't they? This week in the Premier League meeting. Where, yeah, where do you, where do you think we're going to end up with this one? The clubs got together, I think, was it on Tuesday? Um, top of the agenda was the pay-per-view issue, which has clearly been widely chastised by fans and generally people in football across the board. Look, 14.95 in this current climate when people are struggling to um, put food on the table for, for people um, and losing their jobs and being on furlough, um, the unemployment soaring because of covid it's just so inappropriate. And then they had a chance to uh, um, address the issue on Tuesday. And look, we, I think you you know as well as I do that there were uh, several clubs were, were keen to address it there and then, but um, the overriding decision was to, to, to basically fudge it until after the November international break, which is three more weeks away. So, you know, they're going to review it. The Premier League is saying they want a bigger body of evidence to look at in terms of what reaction it generates before making a a more reasoned decision in three, two to three weeks' time. But for me, it should be scrapped. It's just it's doing a lot of damage to the public image of the Premier League, the brand. You know, it's unrealistic. Um, and they will probably end up reducing it to below £10. Maybe £9.95 has been mooted uh, around. So uh, I just think it was... They didn't. They didn't deal with it when they, when they had a chance to. And I think the public feeling is so overwhelming that it's a no-brainer, really, for me. Yeah, Chris. I, I don't know whether you saw Rick Parry's letter this week to, to Oliver Dowden, and uh, and you know talking about that why football has been victimised here. Um, and and you know obviously he's batting in for the, for the uh, EFL clubs there. I mean, did. Do, do you feel that? Do, do you think that's? Do you think that's right? I mean, should should we be doing more? Or, or you know, there's a there was quite a lot of feed, you know pushback actually on social media. I don't know whether you saw it about kind yeah. of you know about the timing of, of, of the of the letter. Where basically we're probably going into another crisis. Frankly, aren't we escalating crisis? So, what did you make of that letter? It's it's like. On one hand, you've got the EFL saying they're not had support from the government, and on the other hand, you've got a Premier League footballer begging the government to, to pay for free school meals. And they're saying they can't afford that, which obviously that's a political debate and all of that. So how can football just demand money? I suppose they'll look at other sectors of the economy getting support, like their hospitality and the, I don't know, but the yeah. Grand Theatre and the theatre and all of that. And sort of going, well, where's our support? Look at all the money we usually pump into the economy with, when there's crowds in and the the businesses around the football grounds and all of it, we need support. So that's the kind of debate. But, I, yeah, I just feel that the timing is wrong to, to, to do that. So, like, it seems very aggressive. And I just think at this at this time, it's, you, you just, you're going to open yourself up to criticism and football doesn't need that. It needs support because we need to find a way to get the supporters back in to solve this issue. And by being aggressive on the government, I don't think that's the best way because you want to try and say, look, we're doing our best. We need a little help. 
try and help us out. And I just think it was too much. I don't know what you guys felt on it. It, it just I, felt too much. John, I thought that the timing, two things, the timing was was obviously turned out to be horrendous simply because within a few hours, Germany went into lockdown again mm. and France, which means their football matches will be back behind closed doors. And also, Parry, it wasn't two minutes ago that Parry was championing this Project Big Picture, which was going to provide 250 million quid out of the purse from the Premier League Big Six, basically, to, to support the EFL. What's happened to that? I mean, he's undermined the, the football's position, really, in a lot of ways, because football, this, the game needs to be working together as, in solidarity, and they've not been doing that. So the government will look at things like that and think, well, hang on a minute. You know, you, you, you come up with a, a fancy idea where you're going to support mm. yourselves through funding and bailouts from the, the richer clubs. And then you vote, then that got rode out of town with less than a week. And then you're coming back to us for, for money. So it's just not a good look. I, no. I don't know, the government looking at it as well. I know it's Premier League, but going, you're saying there's no money in football. And then there's clubs going out spending 50, 60 million pounds on, on players. So you're going, why can't, why can't they invest that down the, down the chain? Why don't they put that down the chain rather than the government having to do it when there's so many other issues in the country? It's, and then the pay-per-view is another thing that it doesn't help itself because it looks greedy. And I know that's the Premier League and the EFL is different, but the whole game kind of gets sullied by that. And, I, and then they go, well, why do you need money? You're charging people 15 quid to watch a match. Mm, yeah. I, I, I've got to say that, I mean, you're missing the point here. Um, clubs are going to go out of business and they're going to go out of business very, very soon. And that is gonna that is gonna undermine the whole of football. And I yeah, think, but that is in that way that the, the Premier League clubs should be helping those clubs. Like I'm, I'm 100 believe the government should give EFL clubs money and support because of what they do. But surely the Premier League clubs have to help because, as you say, the knock-on effect of those clubs going out of business will will hurt the game further up the chain. The the point is that they're not helping, are they? And and no, we should. Okay, but we've seen that they're not, and the fact is that Parry, his role is to point out that their that their constituents are struggling, and the reality is that football is facing a huge financial crisis, not just even in the UK, but across the whole of Europe, and it is getting no support anywhere from the government. The government have supported the hospitality industry; they have supported many businesses but they haven't supported football in any way. Now, the timing, you can talk all about that, but the timing is connected to the fact that there are clubs on the verge of extinction. And once they go out of business, they will never come back. They're not just going to go out of business for six months and then somehow return. The, the reality is, as Chris said, football itself needs to look at this because they need a healthy pyramid, but they're not. And that's the problem. They're just not looking at it because, and we've seen the Premier League, is essentially controlled by the big clubs that make decisions based purely on their own financial needs and their own ability to, to box off most of the finances that they believe they generate. So they don't, they don't have any interest and they have, have no desire to give their money to clubs lower down the, the pyramid that they believe don't generate the income. But the reality is that's going to undermine football. It's going to collapse. The system will collapse if we don't save those clubs now. The Premier League's not doing it and the government needs does need to step in because these clubs are not just sporting businesses. They're community hubs. They're, they, they do so much work in the community and the government needs to recognise that and it needs to save these clubs. Dave. Where I where I think I must say I think this sort of kind of government is is failing the e, the EFL clubs at League One, League Two particularly is not not providing some sort of paye holiday, not providing that sort of relief there simply because I think if you speak to a lot of clubs at that level, they'll have done their their October payroll and that's crisis averted this month, but they're living day to day, and some of them just don't know how they'll pay the wages um, for November, and so. I do think it, I can see both sides. I, you know, I, I do think that you know the government will be looking at sort of Rick Parry and saying, "Well, project big picture against sort of saving the clubs." And so, I think it's a valid argument. I, 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 did, I don't know that Rick Parry could do anything else. Frankly, I think it was a powerful letter, and I understand the sentiment um, behind it. 
really. But guys, just to finish, if I may, I'm going to look at the game of the weekend. Well, I've nominated the game of the weekend anyway. It's Man United v Arsenal Sunday. Um, really, I mean, first and foremost, is it still the game of the weekend? Um, when you look at their respective positions in the Premier League table, <laughs> uh, your favourite memories from from this fixture gone 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 by. Um, please don't all say Pizza Gate. And and who's going to win Sunday? Um, Jeremy, let me start with you. Favourite moment is probably well, we didn't none, none of us saw Pizza Gate, did we? So we can't really claim that one. But 2009 was it when Mike Dean sent um, Wenger off for kicking a water bottle down the touchline? It was. I was at that game actually. It was funny. Um, Van Persie thought he'd got. I think it was an FA Cup game actually. And Van Persie thought he got an equaliser in the last minute, and it was ruled out. Wenger lost his rag, booted this bottle miles down the touchline. I think uh, the fourth official got involved. The dean and Wenger came together. He sent him off. Wenger went and sat in the dugout. He said, "No, you sent off. Go and stand." He didn't know where to go. He was scrambling around trying to find somewhere to stand. It was that iconic picture of him sort of stood there on the roof of the dugout, saying, "There's nowhere for me to go." The fans. There's a famous picture of the fans behind him giving him absolute dogs abuse. It was it was amusing to say the least. That's that's my funniest moment from all those games that I've done at uh, United and Arsenal. I don't know. I mean, obviously, Arsenal will be licking the wounds, won't they, following last weekend? But um, in United, are high in confidence. So you've got a fancy United to win. Um, although United's home form in the league has been pretty poor this season. So I think predictions predictions on anything this season are very brave. Uh, I'm going to go 2 0 United. Chris, what do you reckon? Uh, prediction first, I'll probably go. I think it'll be a lot of goals. I think it's going to be. Probably United three two. Um, looking back, oh, the favourite moment is uh, for me is always the the tunnel at, at um, the old Highbury when Vieira uh, was giving it to Gary Neville and Roy Keane came flying out of the dressing room and we we see only saw the bit at the bottom when they stood, but the way Keane was just looking like to stand in the tunnel beside Vieira and he's just like shouting at the referee. He's just it, it was just amazing. I mean, I can only imagine the tension and how how it didn't end up in a punch-up, I don't know. But you can imagine then Keane went straight out there and, and laid a few on Vieira because it was funny. I was looking like the Sky kind of promo of the game the other day was on. It came on after one of the matches and it showing all the old clips of those great games in the 90s and the 90s. And you're going, it's nowhere near that now, is it? It's nowhere near that. Like those were games where... They were like massive events. Like you talk about pay per view, like you might have got people paying fourteen ninety five for them ones because they were box office. Absolutely, Dave. All right, I'm going to take you back in time here, Crossy, <laughs> 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 to when you were a little lad. Nineteen seventy nine FA Cup final. Oh, I remember it. Yeah, <laughs> I remember it too. I was a I was a very small boy then. Honest. And it was like one of the most dramatic cup finals of all time. It's funny how we forget. We always say, oh, modern football is great and all that. But Manchester United equalised. I think it was I think it was like with two minutes to go equalised. And it was like, oh, the drama. We're going to extra time. And then Alan Sunderland came and scored, scored a winner uh, in the 90th minute, I think it was, wasn't it? So... The drama and that th- those are the sort of the games that make us and we're all, you know, look back and say the FA Cup was like the pinnacle for us because it was the only live TV and 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 then you'd get drama in games like that and that that kind of sits with me as as a memory uh, as a kid and actually interestingly probably both teams weren't that good around that time either so it's probably about the same as as this weekend. Um, I'm going to go for a draw. I'm lo- I was looking at United against Chelsea and you could see that the way that Solskjaer was playing was a, just a little bit knowing that he couldn't be losing games like that. And I think it's the same again. And I think Arteta's also feeling that he can't really be losing a game like this one. The way that Arsenal played at Liverpool early in the season without any real ambition. I think, you know, you you, you can see that Arteta knows these these big games which Arsenal haven't done well against the big six uh, are important so I'm going for a draw what's Mm. yours Crossy well I'll tell you what Arsenal have lost three games already Man City Liverpool Leicester 
And it just feels to me, if they lose a fourth, where's the season? And and we've only just started. So I do think it's a big one, really. So I'm going to sit horribly on the fence and go draw. <laughs> but it's funny, actually. I do remember that 79 uh, uh, FA Cup final, but not half as much as I remember being taken to Wembley to watch the 1979 Charity Shield, which, which was against Liverpool. Liverpool won 3-1. And I remember watching on and seeing Arsenal absolutely, <laughs> you know, having their behinds kicked, shall we say? Um, it, it, you know, it was just, it just, just amazing. And Dave, you're right, really. <laughs> they weren't very good in those days at all, really. And and that's when you know, um, you know, the era of Brady and, and what have you. But it, anyway, it's um, yeah. I would probably go for memory. I'd probably go for. Van Nistelrooy hitting the crossbar. I remember watching it in a bar in Ibiza. So there you go. How about that? So when back when I was young, and uh, that I mean, you know, Van Nistelrooy missing that day. Arsenal went on to be the Invincibles, and you know, creating a bit of Premier League history. How things have changed, really, um, and the Battle of Old Trafford that day, really. But uh, anyway, we're going to finish on that note. So guys, thanks so much for joining, and um, really nice. I, I hope everyone's enjoyed it as well, and um, and uh, thanks for your company and. Uh, Yeah, enjoy the show and uh, see you back here same time, same place next week. Thank you.